Hi church, my name's Marion. The Bible reading tonight is from Philippians 4 verses 1 to 7. It's on page 1181 on the church Bibles, but I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntech. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Mark, I'd like to pray for you as you come to speak to us. Our loving Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Mark. We ask that you will speak to us clearly through Mark tonight. Marion. Good? Sweet. Well, uh, welcome. And if you're new tonight, my name is Mark. I'm the senior pastor here at Q Baptist Church. <laughs> it's great to have you join us. Uh, so if that's strange for you, that's stranger for myself and for Melinda, particularly the last uh, few weeks as we've watched those socials unfold and realised that I am not the Messiah uh, and, uh, and the pressure and the weight of expectation. I'm sure those photos have been touched up. But it's really good to be here, actually, and we're really honoured and glad to be starting this journey. And as someone has already mentioned, tonight uh, is a little bit of a soft start because uh, the formal stuff happens next week. But I really feel like tonight is like the inside sort of word uh, as the family gathers and we hear a little bit about what the things might look like and to say that God willing, our intention is that we'll be here for a long time. Uh, my last church, I was at there for a long time. Uh, and we intend to be here for as long as God will have us here, and as long as I can still jump onto the stage, uh, things will be going well. But that, that is actually our heart and intention, I believe, in long-term ministry. You know, something else I really believe in, and something I feel like I actually need to say tonight, which I haven't planned, uh, is to talk about the radical middle. You know that the most radical place to be as a believer is actually in the middle. And let me explain to you what I mean. But let's put those two words together, radical and middle. The most radical place for a believer to be is in the middle. Let me give you an example. Some of you may have heard about you know, the prosperity doctrine and pray, word of faith, and you'll be healed, and you'll be healed straight away. You may have heard of that sort of whole thing. And some of you may be like really conservative, come from a really conservative background like I do as a Baptist minister, Baptist boy, born and bred. And you hear that sort of stuff and you sort of think, well, does God actually even act? 
I was actually talking to one of my really good mates the other day, and his daughter is in a situation where uh, she's got some real issues, some real health issues, and he says to me, Mark, I don't actually know if I want to pray for my daughter, because really, it's up to God whether he heals her or not. Now, I want to say this position and this position are actually the extremes of what, in fact, I want to term the radical middle. Because don't we all want to say, don't all of us here tonight want to believe that God loves us, cares for us, wants the best for us, wants us to be healthy, wants us to be provided for? Isn't God loving? Isn't that what he wants? But at the same time, the Baptist in me wants to say, well, it's up to God what he does. And Jesus prayed, didn't he? Lord, let your will be done. So what's the radical middle? This is where I want to land if I want to talk about that particular issue. And I want to say this is actually the most radical place to be. I've given up saying, after I prayed for something, Lord, if it be your will. And I'll tell you why I've personally given that up. Because you know what? If it's God's will... Well, nothing I say is going to stop it happening. It's God's will. He's sovereign. He's the creator of the world. He made everything. He will do, by very definition, what he will do. When Jesus prayed, let your will be done, it was actually because Jesus was really struggling to do what it was that God wanted him to do, which was to go to the cross. Imagine that. Man, that's a whole theological conundrum right there. But true, right? Lord, uh, but if it be your will, I'm not going to pray anymore if it be your will. Because quite frankly, I'm going to leave that up to God whether it's his will or not. But I also want to, the Baptist in me wants to go to James chapter 5 where it says, if any of you are sick, and it's so simple, right? There's nothing spooky about it. There's nothing weird about it. If any of you are sick, go to the elders of the church. Ask them to pray for you. And the prayers, the righteous prayers will be heard. That's what it says in the simple, plain, black and white scripture. So here's the thing. The radical middle is the most radical place to be. You can get swayed over here and someone might say to you, you know what, it's all about your faith. It's not about your faith. It's about God. It's about what God wants to do in that moment. And also, and this is what I said to my really good friend. I said, you know what, mate? You should absolutely pray for your daughter. Do you love your daughter? Yes. Do you want her to be healed? Yes. Does God love her? Yes, God may not heal her for whatever reason. And let me say to you, that is one of the many things that I don't understand about God. If I was God, I would be Bruce Almighty and I'd be handing out those tickets and I'd be answering those prayers and we'd all be in a whole mess, but we'd all be driving Ferraris, okay? But I'm not God. And how God acts and why he doesn't answer the prayers of really good people that are really good and solid prayers, I don't know. I can't give you that answer. And part of maturing as a believer is actually pushing through sometimes the childish thoughts we have about God and understanding that there is stuff about God we do not understand. But can I encourage you? Don't get pushed over this way. But also don't get pushed over this way. God loves you. He wants to intervene in your life. And I want to say this, and this is probably somebody that attends Bible college is going to say, Mark, you can't use that language. But here we go. I actually believe we are really fortunate as Christians that we can pray to God 
We, it seems to me we have an advantage in life. Now that's confronting, but that's actually the truth. What did Jesus say about prayer? He said, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And it seems to me that when it comes to prayer and praying for healing, for sickness, for whatever it is, car park, you don't have because you don't ask. The most radical place to be as a believer is in the middle of the extremes. And I want to say to you that what you're getting is someone who truly believes in the power of God and believes in the power of prayer and believes in a God that intervenes and believes in a God that speaks and believes in a God that acts and believes that God can speak to you and you can sense something and you can say it, you can share a word with someone. I believe in all that sort of stuff. But I'm also a mature believer who sometimes says to himself, why? Why God? I don't get it. And I don't always get the answer and I don't always get the answer that I want. But I'm hoping that's because I've grown up from being a child and I'm actually learning to be mature. And maturity in faith and maturity in Jesus is, is going on that journey and understanding sometimes he's not going to answer the prayers the way you want him to. But I'm going to leave that up to him. I'm not going to give him a way out, nor am I going to make excuses for God. If God doesn't want to answer my prayer and he doesn't answer my prayer, well, he can handle that and he can deal with that. That's up to him. That's not up to me. As a Christian, as a believer, we are not here to make excuses for God. God will be God and God will do what God will do. But what's our role? Our role is to pray in faith, believing and hoping. And maybe even praying, expecting. There you go, getting two sermons for one tonight. In the book of Philippians, uh, this is the very first message that I ever preached on, actually. I was very young and I preached at a little town called Narracourt. Does anyone know where Narracourt is? Way! Does anyone come from Narracourt? No, all right. <laughs> I preached there, it's a small town, and I preached on this passage and it really felt like as I start this ministry here at Q Baptist, as your pastor, that I should preach on this piece of scripture. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Lauren for stepping aside and let me preach today. Can we all give her a hand? She's been doing an amazing, an amazing job the last few months and I know you've all been enjoying the work of uh, Pastor John as well and I have catching up with him for coffee soon. Brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord, etc., etc. And then he gets onto this controversy between Iodia and Syntec. And uh, you're, most of you are probably Victorians. You know all about politics. Uh, in West Australia, we, have a, we had a premier that has a 94% rating. I don't believe the one you have has anywhere near that. But we're not going to deal with that today. All we're going to say is that wherever you have two people in a room, you're going to have politics. And if you've been grown up in a church, you will know and you will understand that there are politics in church. When I was young... I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church. As I've already said, I didn't become a Christian until I was about 19. But I remember mum and dad coming home. I was about 11 or 12. And this was a humdinger of a Baptist church. And it really felt like if no one killed each other at the members meeting, that was a good meeting. And I'm, you know, we sort of joke about that. But it's, it was so bizarre to actually see the people who are nice to each other on Sunday. But then at that 
members meeting every three months, they would literally be tearing each other apart over a whole heap of inane things. What's interesting about this piece of scripture is that Paul does not tell us what the disagreement is about. He doesn't tell us what the beef was. Why are these two women fighting? We're not told. What we do know about them is they must have been prominent women in the ministry. Paul calls them his partners in the gospel. They were probably pastors or teachers or church planners or, 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 or having some sort of a apostolic function in the church. They were significant people in the church. Maybe you know this because I want you to imagine what happened when that letter was read out to the church in Philippi. Because what would happen is Paul would write the letter, he would send it off, someone would take, it, take that letter with them, often they would be the one reading it out to the church. The church would all gather. There was no U version, there was not even a photocopy of one of those things you used to stick on the screen and the words are up on the thing. You used to have to sit there and listen as this letter was written. And it was exciting. We got a letter from Paul. How amazing is this? And everyone would gather, a new letter would come. Can you imagine being in that church as that letter is read out and those two women are named? This is like super awkward for the whole bunch. This girl's sitting over here, this girl's sitting over here. The people here understand that these two are fighting and they know what they're fighting about. But Paul neglects to mention what the issue was. So very often, the stuff that we disagree about in church and in mission is really not even important enough to be mentioned. Perhaps there's a clue. As Paul says, they are co-workers with me in the gospel. Thank you for our first slide. Paul basically says to these women, you must be of the one mind. You must be of the one mind. He's not going to give a solution. He's going to give, pardon me, he's not going to give the problem. He's going to give the solution. And the solution is all around the gospel. The most important thing in church is always the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is simply defined, let me give you a summary if you've never heard it, the good news about Jesus. There was Adam, there was Eve. They messed up. They made bad decisions. Their bad decisions we call sin. They pretty much affect the whole of the world and every one of your relationship. They bring sickness and death and disease and famine and fighting and war. All those things have all resulted from that very first sin. Jesus comes along. He loves the world. He dies for the world. He defeats sin and death. He rises from the dead. He now invites every person to into a relationship with him. You can now believe and know Jesus. You can have purpose for your life. This is the good news about Jesus. And quite frankly, as this church, as Q Baptist, and you will be a part of this, as we make decisions about our future and as we think about who we want to be and where we want to go, the basis for how we're going to make those decisions is going to be the good news. It's going to be around the gospel. What happens in churches, and, and I've been guilty of this myself and I'm sure you have too, so very often we want to make decisions based around what we like about what's comfortable for us, about what's good for us, about what we've experienced before. We can't do it that way. Uh, it's never been done before. That's never been done, so we can't do it that way. 
We make disagreements about a whole range of stuff instead and we forget and we neglect the most important thing is people that Paul says in this book, he says, your name is written in the book of life. Well, what about the people whose names are not written in the book of life? This is the priority of the gospel. When it comes to being of one heart and one mind, Paul doesn't want to even deal with the issue. He just wants to point us back to the good news. The most important deciding factor about how we operate as a church and what we do as a church is going to be the mission of Jesus and what he wants us to do. As I look across this room and as I hear this incredible sound as you all worship and sing together and as we enjoy this moment, as we should, I think about the destiny of all your lives and I think about where you're going. But the reality for us is that there, are, there is a world that hasn't heard, hasn't received, hasn't taken on board the good news about Jesus. The church's mission, what Jesus left for us, is to be part of that mission in this world. The good news is our priority. It's what he wants us to do. I did a um, course and I've read a book, it's called Crucial Conversations. And it's a really helpful book, actually, across a whole range of issues. And what it basically talks about is you can have a situation with a friend and maybe you've been in this type of situation where the stakes are high. You're not talking about what you're going to eat for dinner. You're not talking about what type of car you're going to drive. You're not talking about any of the inane things. You're actually talking about something that actually really matters to you and you find yourself in a divergence of opinion about that. It's something important and the stakes are high. And the principle in that book is, well, you need to find a common value around which you both share and both agree about, and you can go from that. I want to say to you that as a church, Q Baptist Church, our common value, the most important thing we have, is the good news about Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the fact Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, lived and died, and now offers Salvation to the world. And what that means is that when we get to discussions about holy stuff as a church, and there will be, there will be change. There will be stuff we need to decide about. There's stuff we need to to throw out. There's stuff we need to change as a church. We're going to make that decision based around the value of the good news and based around how can we serve our community and bring the good news to our community. I love this verse which goes on and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And as I've been a pastor for a long time, I only really came to discover this verse in Ephesians, which basically told me what I was meant to be doing as a minister. And to be honest, that, I almost find that amusing. For so long I've been trying to do this and trying to do that. But I found this verse in Ephesians, and we've got it up on the screen uh, in a moment. And it basically talks about what it actually means to be a pastor, to be a leader. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of the Christ. I really feel like my primary role as a pastor and as a leader is to cheer you on and to encourage you. Encouragement means that you take courage and you place it in the heart of someone. You look at someone, you see what they could be and you help them to be all they can be. 
For a long time as a pastor and as a minister, I was running around and doing a whole heap of stuff and doing a whole lot of ministry and I should be doing ministry and I should be doing work. But the reality is that actually a pastor's job is to cheer you on and to encourage you and to help you be all you can be and to teach you that, to pull you back into line perhaps if that's what's needed. But whatever's needed, let's cheer each other on and I want you to cheer each other on. When the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord, again, I say rejoice. I love that. Because one of the most important things for me about church is that we should enjoy it. We shouldn't endure it. We should enjoy church. We shouldn't endure it. Enjoy is such an interesting word because it's not fleeting happiness. It's not that moment uh, where something good's happened, but it's just a fleeting sort of a thing. Joy is something which stays in your heart and helps you despite whatever else is going on around you. Whatever your circumstances are, you can actually still feel joy. This is what Paul is talking about. One of the key ways you're going to find joy as a Christian is to have other Christians that are cheering you on. Does anyone here play squash? Anyone? I see that hand. Anyone else? Just one person in this whole place plays squash? You used to. All right. I'll kick your butt. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to squash, one of the things that I do when I play squash, uh, one of my mantras is that I'm not there to make friends. <laughs> I'm there to win. I don't play squash because it's a soft game. I play squash because I have a lot of latent energy and anger in my life and I need to take that out on the squash court in a way that's meaningful and is good for my body. So those two young fellows are in for a torrid time. Um, But I love playing squash. It's a great game. One thing that happened a little while back is my wife came... Melinda came and if you've ever played squash or even seen a squash court, you'll know that you sit up the top there and you look over the balcony and you watch the people play squash. She's only been, I think, to see me play squash once. I think it was because I smashed my racket and brought it home and she said, how'd you smash the racket? And I said, I have no idea, it was an accident. But she came to squash and she's watching me play squash. And in that moment, as my wife is watching me play squash, there's two two reasons that I played about 5 or 10% better that day than what I normally do. The first reason is because in the car on the way home, she was going to be asking me the question, how come you lost? Or why didn't you do better than what you did? But the second reason is because she's there, she's actually cheering me on. She's actually encouraging me. There's this beautiful thing that happens in a church where you have other Christians that are watching you and cheering you on and encouraging you. God has given us each other as a gift. And it's such a gift. I want to encourage you all, when you see your fellow Christian, your brother or your sister doing well, or even struggling, part of the role you have as a church is to cheer them on, to encourage them, to help them see that, yeah, you know what? You can do it. And we can do this together. That is my role here as well. Something I'm really looking forward to doing. You know, just as we come to the last verse, I'm actually going back to that very first verse. And I want to finish with this and I want to have a little bit of time of prayer and just a little bit of time of ministry in a moment where I'm going to ask you just to have a bit of prayer, your own self in your own time and just pray about your own life. But back to that first verse. Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. 
I love you and I long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. It's very hard for me to leave the church that I loved after so many years. Linda and I found that really difficult. But one of the things that's changed is you're not going to hear me talk about my previous church very much anymore. I might, you can ask me a question, I'll answer any question you have. Because the truth is now, this is my church. And if you're part of this church, I'm your pastor and this is our church together. What Paul does here, he talks about a crown. In a few weeks, Prince Charles, if he's not already, he's going to become King Charles, he's going to put a crown on his head. That's not the sort of crown that Paul's talking about. What he's actually talking about in this passage of Scripture is what you receive as an athlete when you've won the race, where you've fought the fight, where you've done the thing that God wanted you to do. You will receive a crown. You will receive recognition. You will receive a reward. Paul says here to these people in the church, you are my crown. You are my reward. As you encourage someone, as you bless someone, as you build someone up, as you teach, as you minister to someone, they will be your reward when you see them doing well in the kingdom. That can be you. And that's what I want to do. Can we all just close our eyes and bow our heads? Let's just have a a moment or two in prayer. I just want to direct your thoughts. I want to direct your prayer. Maybe for you, this is an opportunity, this is a marker where you will say, Lord, I want to serve you. I've been holding back. I want to encourage someone else. I want to share my faith. I want to put aside those things that are important to me. And tonight I want to rededicate my life again to you. You know what, if that's you, why just take a moment, just pray that prayer. Just dedicate yourself back to God again. be a bit bold here I'm going to say that I really actually feel God is actually challenging every one of us in this building every single person in this moment God is calling you to dedicate yourself to him again some of you have thought about checking out of church checking out of this church maybe even checking out of your faith. Some of you have felt disappointed and let down by God. God is calling you to deeper places tonight. So I'm actually calling on every single soul in this building. I'm asking you just to share with God again that you love Him and that you want to serve him however he wants you to do that. And why don't you, why don't you ask him? 
to bring healing and to bring guidance and to bring your strength back into your life again. I think we should all do that right now. Holy Spirit, we're so glad you are doing some business in people's hearts and lives tonight. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to remember this moment. For some of us, it's been really significant. Lord, we confess that so often we have forgotten or neglected how important you are to us. Tonight, God, we want you to hear that we reaffirm that what you want to do with our life is the most important thing. Lord, we love you and we are so ever grateful for Jesus. Spirit of God, help us to be on mission, share our faith, read the Bible, hear from God, experience your love and your peace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand to our feet? We're just going to sing a couple more songs and continue our worship this evening.